Well, I am uh, deeply encouraged um, to hear people from our congregation sharing their faith. And uh, just that moment to hear those testimonies gave me great joy. Uh, and I hope that it did for, for you as well. This morning we're concluding our series and we've been um, looking at places in our, in our lives where we can find contentment, satisfaction in our lives. And, and uh, we've also been looking at places where we search for these things um, and, uh, and, and we find ourselves tempted by promises that do not fulfill. And so sometimes we're tempted to search in the wrong places as well. And so we looked, uh, the first week we looked at gratitude, um, what wonderful expressions of gratitude we heard in the video. Um, we, we, then we looked at um, <clears throat> generosity last week, and today, as you can imagine, we're, uh, we're, we're thinking about joy, and we're talking about joy this morning. Uh, that's the topic. The, the late uh, theologian and Christian writer, wonderful uh, scholar, Lewis Smedes, once said that you and I are created for joy, and if we miss it, we miss the reason for our existence. We are created for joy, and if we miss it, we miss the reason for our existence. And so as we uh, uh, continue and reflect on our, our passages for this morning, let's, uh, let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. God, God, we give you thanks for your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, this wonderful congregation and for uh, the ways in which you bring joy into each of our lives, and when we share our faith, that... Uh, spills over and gives us more joy. We thank you for the testimonies that we just heard a moment ago, and we pray that you will now open our hearts and open our minds as we dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures uh, to learn how and where we can find a deeper and lasting joy in our lives. We thank you and we praise you. We pray your spirit will speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So where do we find joy? Where do we find joy in our lives? Uh, in, my in my study this past week, um, I use a Bible software program called Logos. It's a wonderful um, program that I've been using for about a decade or so. And it enables you to do um, a lot of searching through the scriptures in a condensed period of time. And so in my study, I learned that there are 535 passages in the Bible that speak about joy. Joy, joyfully, joyful, rejoice, rejoicing, rejoiced. And as I searched through, I spent time this week searching through and reading many, if not most, of these passages, and I found that um, they generally fall into four broad categories in terms of where we find joy in our lives. And so the first one, and I want to share with you this morning what I found in my study. The first one is really simple. It's one we all know and we've experienced in our lives, and it's the kind of joy that comes when something good happens to us in our lives. Um, some kind of celebration, maybe you got a promotion, a great promotion in your work or a new job, and that's a moment of celebration and a moment when God gives joy, a temporary kind of joy in our lives. And I think about over the course of my life, there are some uh, really important moments um, chronologically speaking, my senior year in high school when our uh, soccer team uh, won, our high school soccer team won the state championships. That was a, a wonderful moment of joy and celebration. Um, more significant than that was the, the day that uh, Devin and I were married. It was over 18 years ago. 
on June 14th. And, uh, and we were married in Laguna Beach, and then we ha had a wonderful reception and celebration, and that was a moment of joy. Each of the times that we brought a child into the world, there in that hospital bedroom, um, we celebrate the arrival of a, of a new birth, and what great joy that gives that gives to us. And so uh, joy comes when good things happen. This is an awesome thing uh, when good things happen in our lives. But these experience are, experiences don't happen every day. They're rare. Uh, they might come once in a lifetime or a couple of times in a lifetime. And so it can't be our only source of joy. They're temporary sources of joy. But of course, in the Bible, uh, this is listed as one of the four primary sources of joy in our lives, when God blesses us with a special blessing. And so when babies were born or when kings were installed uh, in the Bible, a uh, new king of the monarch, when the Israelites went into battle and they won against all odds, they found themselves victorious, God gave them victory. These are moments of joy in the scriptures. And so in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is leading the armies of Israel into battle, and he expected that they would lose. But they gave thanks to the Lord as they went into battle, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And the Levites were singing this as they went into battle and they defeated their enemies. And so we read in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 17, and 27, then all the people of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat at their head returned to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. And so all of these things are wonderful and they're great sources of joy and we should savor them. There's nothing wrong with them. When you get a, uh, a promotion at work or you get a big raise, celebrate that. That's a blessing from the Lord and, and it gives us a kind of, of temporary joy. It's just that it's not a kind of joy that can sustain, be sustained at that level all the time. It comes and it goes. And when it, does, when it does come, celebration is the appropriate response. So then there's another kind of joy, another source of joy, and, it, and it's the kind of simple joy that comes from paying attention, from noticing the blessings and the beauty that we see around us and in our lives. Joy comes when we stop to pay attention. This week I was reading an author who was writing about slices of joy. And he said that we have these, there are these slices of joy right underneath our noses all the time if we will just stop to pay attention. And I really appreciate this because I've been experiencing it in my own life, especially during this, uh, this 2020 year of COVID-19 and, and the stress and the anxiety. I've noticed that I've needed to take more uh, frequent times out of my day to stop and to notice and to pay attention. There really, and when I do that, there really are things to be joyful about. Um, I think about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about gratitude and how people are more happy and content in our, in our lives when we stop to reflect on the things that we're grateful for. And there's a prayer that I, I 
I incorporate into my life. I pray this prayer um, at least three times, three or four times a week. At the end of the day, it's called the prayer of examine, and it was a prayer modeled uh, that was formed by St. Ignatius of, Lo of Loyola. It's a contemplative, reflective, silent prayer where you kind of go through your day and you review your day moment by moment or sort of section by section, morning, midday, and evening, and you take some time to pause and reflect on the things that you're grateful for that happened throughout the day, a small encounter with a stranger, perhaps, at a grocery store, or someone gave you a phone call, or that really nice email that you received, and you pause to reflect on those little things um, that you're grateful for. And then you go through the prayer, and you offer repentance and, and a commitment to, uh, to a new day, but the whole point is to notice that God is at work and Christ plays in 10,000 places if we would just stop for a moment to pay attention and to see it. Sometimes that joyful experience is, is just paying attention to what's going on around us. On the other day, on Friday evening, I had the great joy of getting to go for a mountain bike ride with a few of the guys from the church on Friday afternoon into the evening. And for one thing, I'm so grateful that my arm has healed and I'm thankful for your prayers and that I can ride my mountain bike again. And there were a few of us and as we were on the uh, shoreline trail and we got kind of to the top of where we were going near Corner Canyon and we came back down around towards uh, the cars and when we made a bend, we could look out over the valley and it was a magnificent sunset that was um, falling behind the mountains, and we, we cheered. We didn't really stop, but we kept riding, but we noticed it, and we cheered, and it, and it was like this moment of joy for me when we just stopped to pay attention. There was an article um, a few years ago in the Washington Post. It was about a, a social experiment that was conducted in the D.C. Metro station. I want to share it. It's a, it's a true story. In the article, it, it goes like this. A, a man sat at a metro station in Washington, D.C. and started to play the violin. It was a cold January morning. He chose and played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. And during that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that thousands of people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. Three minutes went by and a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace, stopped for a few seconds, and then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip. A woman threw the money in the till and without stopping, continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but the man looked at his watch and started to walk again. Clearly, he was late for work. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy. His mother tagged him along, hurried, but the kid stopped to look at the violinist. Finally, the mother pushed hard and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. This action was repeated by several other children. All the parents, without exception, forced them to move on. In the 45 minutes the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 gave him money, but continued to walk at their normal pace. He collected $32. When he finished playing and silence took over, no one noticed it. 
There was no applause, and there was not any recognition. No one knew this, but the violinist who was playing that day was Joshua Bell, uh, one of the greatest musicians in the world, and he was playing one of the most intricate pieces ever written on a Stradivarius worth three and a half million dollars. Just two days prior to this event, uh, he, Joshua Bell, played at a concert hall in Boston to a packed out audience uh, where the average seat what cost $100 to attend. This is a real story that happened. Joshua Bell playing incognito in the metro station in Washington, D.C. It was organized by the Washington Post as a social experiment about perception, taste, and priorities of people. And the outlines were this. Listen here closely. In a commonplace environment, at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize the talent in an unexpected context? One of the possible conclusions from the experience could be if we do not have a moment to stop and listen to one of the most uh, best musicians in the world playing the best music in the world, how many other things are we missing? And so a source of joy for us is kind of like stopping and smelling the roses, you know? It's, uh, it's stopping to pay attention and notice. And maybe that's one of the gifts that this time has afforded to us, has given us the, the ability or the opportunity to pay a little bit more attention. Now, one of the most important sources of joy for us, and perhaps uh, one of the most painful in this time due to the isolation we've experienced, is the time that we spend with people. It's the relationships that we have. It's in our relationships with others, in what we do for them, in how we care for them, sharing time with them and blessing them. And so joy comes through meaningful relationships. There's something about giving yourself away to, to someone else and building relationships with people that that gives us really, really great joy. It's part of the reason why Jesus formed the church. I was thinking about Jesus with his disciples, his closest friends, the 12 disciples on the night of the Last Supper. And you remember they're sharing this um, intimate and incredible meal. Uh, and in the Gospel of John, their event, their time together goes on for six chapters where Jesus has gathered together to, to celebrate this Passover-type meal on, on the night before Passover, and during this time, he, he wants, this is his moment to teach them what is most important, what, is the, what are the most important things that he wants them to know before he leaves this, this world and goes to be with the Father. And we get to John chapter 15, and it's sort of like the climax of his teaching, and then he goes off into the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested, and, and, and this is what he says in John chapter 15, I have said these things to you, all of the teaching, everything that I have said, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Isn't that a remarkable statement? 
that his joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. And so that it's not even really that, that, that it's not even really our joy or my joy, it's, it's his joy, it's the joy of Christ, it's the joy of the Lord that will be in us and will be complete if we love one another. It's in the loving of one another that our joy is complete. This is why we have chosen to uh, wear masks and to take great precautions during this whole year of COVID-19 because it is out of our love for one another uh, that we are called to and it is in that that we find our, gr our great joy. It's a remarkable statement. And the word love there is the word agape. It's not feeling, you know, warm feelings for others. It's caring for, for another. It's, uh, it's working for the best and for the good of others. It means doing things for them. It means blessing them and lifting them up and, and doing whatever they need. And it's not just the people that we're close to, but even people we've, we've not met before. Jesus said, your joy will be complete if you love one another. And I want to show you what this looks like. Uh, the word for complete is the word pletho in Greek. Uh, and so complete joy looks like this. This is what pletho means. It's overflowing joy. This is what pletho, complete joy, looks like. It's a spilling over out of our lives, out of our hearts, for the sake of others. It's overflowing. Sometimes it even comes out of our tear ducts when we find ourselves grateful um, for others in our lives. And sometimes it's the laughter that comes when you, when you uh, have such overflowing joy with, with one another. That's what Jesus taught us, what complete joy looks like. It's overflowing. So I was thinking about this, and uh, one of my favorite uh, songs that was written before I was born, um, written seven years before I was born, it, it's, um, I think of it as a gospel song. I don't know if Bill Withers thought of it as a gospel song when he wrote it, uh, but it's a song that is, I think has often been sung at Young Life camps and such in the past, uh, and, um, and it was written in 1972, and, and, and when I hear this song, I hear John 15, and I hear, and I hear the words of Jesus singing. And so let's just uh, take about a minute and a half for a little uh, throwback. And as you hear this, think about Jesus' words in John 15.
you ever uh, thought about Jesus uh, singing that song to you? Um, singing that song to you, lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Uh, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants any longer, for a servant doesn't know his master's business. I call you friends. And so we can hear Jesus singing that to us and then inviting us to sing that to others in response. There is joy in coming alongside other people when they need a friend uh, to carry them and sustain them. And part of uh, what you find is that not only are you bringing joy to others, when you offer a shoulder to, cry, to lean on, to cry on, and if it can't be a shoulder for COVID reasons, uh, uh, a phone call uh, to listen and to hear the cries of others. When we do that, not only do we bring joy to others, but, uh, but, but in doing so, it gives us joy. It gives us joy, and that's what Jesus and, and the scriptures teach us. You might, you might know that, uh, you probably heard that Alex Trebek passed away a couple of weeks ago, and, and you know, Alex Trebek uh, started in, and hosted Jeopardy for uh, 37 years, and he was a man of great integrity and goodwill and, and much loved in our nation. Um, just about a year ago, you know, he battled cancer for um, a little over a year and a half or so, and he, while he was battling cancer, as much as he could, he continued to host the show Jeopardy. And uh, just about a year ago from, from now, there was an episode as he was going through his experience of cancer and treatment not going too well and things like that. He was hosting a show, and, um, and you know how he asked the question, and then the people um, have to respond and place a wager on, on the answer in the form of a question to his answer, which should, you get the idea. Um, and so there was this one, one episode, and, um, and he asked the question, and each person had their answers, and when he called on the first an per person, um, he, the guy wagered $1,900, and he called for the answer, and the answer was written for the whole world to see, we love you, Alex Trebek. And you can see in that moment, um, Alex uh, chokes up, and he, he's so moved by this act of love and he tries to push through into, uh, into the show because it cost this guy $1,900 just to simply say on behalf in a public way, uh, we love you, Alex. And it deeply touched him. And, and you can all see it. It was a wonderful moment. Uh, here's the question. How much are you willing to give up to let someone else know that they're loved? That's what I was struck with when I saw that. How much of your time, how much of your resources or your influence are you willing to give up to let other people know that they're loved, to bring them joy in the midst of difficult times? This has been a difficult time, a difficult year for all of us, and for some an especially difficult year. And so this is what Jesus is talking about here. There is joy in giving ourselves away to others. I think about the parable of the talents that Jesus gave. You might remember this parable uh, where there's a king who goes away and he entrusts his servants with sums of money. And by the way, a talent is not like that kind of talent. It's a sum of money. It's a, 
um, a weight of silver. And, and it's kind of like you're supposed to kind of imagine this is, this is God who has entrusted his creatures with stewarding his creation to, uh, to help others and to make the world better than we found it. And so that's kind of the metaphor of the parable. But to the one person, he gives one talent, which is about 12 years of wages. It's, an, it's a ton of money. To another servant, he, he gives two talents. And to another servant, he gives five talents. And he says, go and, and make this for better, you know, multiply this and, and uh and, and, and when I return. And so the king returns, and what happens is the one talent man buries his talent because he's afraid that uh, the king would be harsh and, and mean and punitive if he had lost it, and so he just wanted to make sure he could protect it. And so he clinged to it, he buried it, and he gave it back to him, and the master was disappointed. And the two-talent person doubled his talent, and the master was excited about that. And the five-person, uh, talent, five-talent man doubled his talent uh, his portion, and so there were ten talents and four talents, and you know, remember what it said, what, what the master said when, when uh, they used it and multiplied it and were able to give back ten and four talents to the master? Do you remember what he said? He said this, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Different stories, uh, different translations kind of say it differently, but I love this idea of entering the master's joy. We enter into God's joy um, when we give ourselves away uh, for others. What does that look like? It means taking our time, our talent, our influence, our resources, and using them to bring more good into the world than when we found it. I don't want to be the one talent man living in in fear of a harsh and punitive God. But the invitation is to to know that God is generous, not stingy. God is abundant, not scarce. Uh, God is kind and not harsh. And so the invitation is that we would just live that way, live as though we believe that. And so there's great joy when we give ourselves away for the sake of others. Now, I want to end by looking at the fourth source of joy in the Bible, and that's, this is probably the source of joy that we heard the most in the little clip of testimonies this morning. And, uh, and to do that, I want to recognize that there are circumstances and times in our lives where joy is just not on our radar. It is about the farthest thing from our imagination um, when speaking about joy in moments like this, it simply sounds like Charlie Brown's mom. Wah, 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 wah. You can't hear anything about it. It's not even on our radar because it's, our moment is so bleak and, and hopeless in those times. It's hard to fathom how to find joy. And I, I think about um, perhaps people, folks in our congregation uh, this year who have lost loved ones, some to um, some of the most excruciating painful uh, experiences. Think about others in our congregation, uh, some who have had continued to endure the suffering of a child uh, with surgery after surgery after surgery. All of us have experienced um, a kind of difficulty this year where, where it's hard, we gotta search a little deeper to find joy because of pandemic um, anxiety and fatigue, and it makes it so challenging to figure out how to live in this world. And so here's the thing, when I read through these 535 verses about 
joy in the Bible, did you know that over 60% of them are written for people who are walking through hell in their lives? People who are walking through darkness, people living in exile, people who just watch their cities destroyed and their families murdered, or their enemies who triumphed over them, people dealing with illness and death. The vast majority of these verses are written to these people and their promises of joy. In essence, what I've said before, that the worst thing is not the last thing. They were promising that God is going to walk with them through this hell and that they will come out the other side. There, there is a marvelous light, and it might be faint, and it might be small, but it is there, and you are approaching it, and God is walking with you through this. God didn't cause the horrible things to happen, but God is going to see you through them. And so joy comes from our faith in God's promises, and this is the deepest source of joy for us. It doesn't mean he's going to make it all better. It doesn't mean he's going to make it the way we like maybe would like for it to be or the way we want it to be doesn't mean he's going to take the brain tumor away but it means that this God is going to hold on and he's never going to let go and Jesus said I have gone to prepare a place for you it's not a building made of human hands but it's an eternal place for you and he says I am the resurrection and the life and those who follow and believe will never die and all those wonderful passages we have in Scripture, so that even though we're walking through darkness, we can see a marvelous light. One of my favorite passages in Scripture that speaks about this is from Isaiah chapter 12. What was happening in Isaiah 12 was that the Assyrian Empire, the largest empire in the world, was making its way, marching over the Fertile Crescent, to the tiny little geography of the two tiny little kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And Isaiah is foretelling this, that this Assyrian army is, is coming and they're going to destroy all of Judah. They're going to take, is, or they're going to destroy all of Israel. They're going to take Judah to the brink of destruction. They're hoping to use this as a staging ground to, uh, to go after Egypt. And Isaiah is simply saying, this, this is coming, it's happening. It, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Turn to God and not away from God in the midst of these times. And you're going to find that God will sustain you and will carry you through. And then he says that the day is finally going to come when you're going to come back to Jerusalem and this is what you're going to sing, Isaiah chapter 12. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I remember being um, conducting a, a funeral several years ago for someone in our congregation who uh, lost her son to suicide. 
and um, they had this wonderful family. She was our preschool director, and, and they had eight kids, four of them um, sort of blonde Swedish kids, biological, and four of them um, black adopted kids from various parts of the global south. And David had um, been adopted twice after a failed adoption, and his trauma was, was so severe and so great that no matter how much he tried and how many people came alongside him, um, it, it was too much for him to bear. And I was really curious as we were planning the service to hear what scriptures and what songs and hymns the family wanted to sing. And when I learned that one of the scriptures they wanted was from Isaiah, I, I, I could hardly get myself to, to speak because I was so moved. Surely it is God who saves us. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense, for he has become my salvation. Can you sing that song in the midst of despair? It's a song of hope. This is what we call faith. Faith is, is our deepest source of joy, and it is not dependent on any circumstance. And no matter what our circumstance we are experiencing in our life, it is always available to us. Joy is available to us at all times and places. This is why Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The worst thing is not the last thing. And so in this year of, of COVID-19, which will spill into next year for sure, um, joy is available. It comes to us when good things happen, good things happen in our lives, even in difficult seasons. It comes to us when we take time out of our day, even little glimpses or moments of time to reflect and to pay attention to the beauty and presence of God around us. It comes when we give ourselves away to, to one another, to those we love, to those we don't know, in our meaningful relationships. And it comes in the, as a result of our, of our faith in God's promises that, we'll, that he will always get us through. God, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we thank you for your joy that you have made accessible and available to us in and through Jesus Christ. We pray that you fill our hearts with joy. We pray that you remind us to seek you throughout the week, to stop and to notice, to pay attention, to take time to make a phone call or to send a text, uh, to share our love with others. Give us faith that is enduring, never-ending, and only increasing day by day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.